Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Happy Monday, y'all. Jeanette, what's up? Welcome back. I'm good enough. Everybody who doesn't know, this is Jeanette's third week here. Gregory Ajit is on vacation in one of the A's. I'm going to say he is in, not in Aruba. That's too, that's too nice, man. He's, <laughs> he's in, in Alabama. And oh, Arkansas. that's even worse. Alabama. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. If you're in Alabama right now, your life sucks. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> and I'm from Mississippi. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> so you could but, say that. Oh, my gosh. Right? That's funny. How was your little getaway? Didn't you go away? Oh, yeah. You know, me and my wife, we we, we got away. We uh we went up into the woods of Pennsylvania, which ain't much better. No, I'm just joking. But <laughs> yeah, it was, it was cool. It was great. We had a great time, man. That's wonderful. Yeah. I just basically went to sleep for two days. So it was nice. nothing wrong with it. <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, okay, let's get to the show, man. We got a very special guest tonight, and uh, she's she's one of your good friends and one of my new friends. I make best friends right away, so me and her, we best friends. How about that? And uh, tonight's guest is is the vice president of Women in Jazz, amongst many other things. She's kind of, of an incredible human being. Hey, y'all. Hey. hey, how's it going? <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. You sound great. How's ever you all right? I am awake, which is, uh, it's a feat. I, uh, are my eyes open? I think they are. Uh, it's been a, <laughs> <laughs> a travel day. I just made it back from, uh, Antibes, France, which is in the South of France. I was playing over there for a couple of days and I didn't know you could get jet lag so quickly. I was there for three days and I'm like, where am I? What day is it? What time is it? But I'm good. Right. I'm good. Oh, man. I, I feel like short reason. period of time is like worse. Like three days, I feel like is worse than going for like a week. 100%. Like you have no time to even begin to adjust. But we're here. Right. We're here. I'm grateful. We're here. Absolutely. We're really happy to have you here. I, look, I want to get right into this because we only got one hour and I definitely want to give all the space in the world um, to you to talk about and you and Jeanette to talk about what's happening um, with women in the creative space. And this is going to be my day to listen and be like, oh, okay, yeah, wow, okay, let me learn something today. You know, y'all going to learn me something. So can you can you just start off kind of just telling us a, a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got involved with women in jazz? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Women, women and BAM. How about that? Women that and bam. is a more accurate <laughs> statement. And I, I co-sign that 100%. Um, yeah, I, I am a vocalist. I have been singing all of my life and I knew that it was sort of the career path that I was going to take. Uh, and I was always really supported in that. The only caveat from my parents was you have to go to school. You can do anything you want, but you have to get a degree in it. 
Um, and then I found out that you can go to school to study Black American music or jazz studies is usually how it is called in the university realm. And um, that experience was sort of the first time I realized like in a very systemic way that not only am I being treated differently because I'm black, but there's also this component of me being a woman, this like intersectional nature that I just really wasn't aware of until I sort of took the institutionalized education uh, path in jazz. And, you know, you get to experience a lot of things in that realm. You know, you have things like the, you know, Jazz Education Network Conference, and you have these workshops and these panels that you can go to that just start like opening up the mind a little bit more. And I was intrigued by it. Um, I've always considered myself a little bit of a troublemaker, good troublemaker in the sense of like, when you know something isn't right, like how can you fix it? Like, how can you figure out like how to make it better? Um, and when I landed in New York City, I very quickly met Roxy Koss, who plays saxophone and she's a composer. Um, and just like ideas immediately, we're on a gig, we're playing like a wedding or something. And, you know, those little short breaks, we're just, you know, going back and forth, quick and quick and quick. Um, and then within a few months, she had this idea to start uh, the Women in Jazz organization and uh, invited me to a meeting that was about 40 women that she knew. Um, and it was a really intense, super like, whoa, there are so many people who are having the same experience as me, you know, and it was really solution-based, you know, like people were there to talk mm. about their problems, but people were also there to figure out how do we make this better? Um, and I think from there, it was a couple of months after that, where uh, Roxy invited me to join the leadership team for the Women in Jazz organization. And I took that opportunity specifically as a Black woman to start figuring out how not to even the playing field for women in general, but specifically Black women, because I think Black women have a very specific set of issues that we face when it comes to sexism in, in the industry. Um, and so, and here I am several years later, uh, having added researcher to my uh, titles, I guess that's a thing that we do to tell people what we do. Um, I'm a little bit of a biology nerd. I think it's really fascinating. And I think that there are a lot of connections to music. And one day I ran across this term called Foster's Rule. And it states that if a species is denied resources, then eventually that species will go extinct. And I thought, well, hot damn, like how could this not be applied to women in jazz, in black American music? And then thus started, you know, about a year's worth of research into that rule and how does it apply to women in jazz? And uh, yeah, that, I've been writing that way for a really, really long time now of doing that research and connecting it back to that, to that rule. I remember when you first presented that, when we, when we met, I guess just last year and I was blown away firstly also because there are not many people that I've found that are not only musicians, but like to dig and research. So I'm so happy that you exist, that you're in, in New York and that you're doing this work. Um, I'm like high key, a fan girl of Tahira's, if y'all couldn't tell. Um, 
It's mutual. So yeah, there's that. Thanks. <laughs> um, so with, with all of that, um, I know lots of people have been talking about pandemic, post-pandemic, all this stuff, what the differences are. Let's just talk about that. What are you observing? How has it been? You just got back from France. What's going on? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I think to talk about like the general population, like regardless of gender or how you identify, um, there's obviously been a lack of resources for all sorts of people all across the spectrum. Um, And I think what it has done positively, what it has done is people are getting out, people are trying to play music, people are trying to reconnect to each other and they're trying to play, et cetera. The negatives of that is that none of the issues that were apparent prior to the pandemic got solved, right? Like, I think people generally were working on themselves and trying to figure out, you know, like, what is life? What are we doing? Who am I? All of these things, which is beautiful. But I don't necessarily think that uh, growth with regards to sexism has changed or has happened. For example, here's a story that happened. I was over in in France with a band that I I didn't know. Um, And all older white men, very kind to me, very sweet. You know, I've never met these people before. That can be crazy when you're traveling internationally. And it was such an interesting uh, meeting of the minds because this very specific population, which I will... I can talk about all day, I won't today, but this very specific population specifically with jazz music and a sample size for what happens to women a lot of the time in these musical social situations, which is where you have the best of intentions, you have no wish or desire to be offensive, to be hurtful, But because of like a lack of awareness or a difference in language or a difference in thought or even a difference in information that is presented, uh, you become very offensive and very hurtful and, and very sexist. And during this trip, it was really beautiful. These guys, I hope they're watching. Like it was, we got to talk about this at length because we were spending so much time together. But I'm like, do you realize that? You don't look me in the eye when you speak to me. You speak to all the other men, but you don't look me in the eye. Do you realize that you've cut me off several times when I've been talking, but you don't do it to other people? Do you realize that you asked me my keys for songs and then went and double checked with somebody else because you didn't know if I knew what I was talking about for sure? You know, all of these little different things that come up. And for me, when I was thinking like, people are figuring this out in the pandemic. Like we're talking about it on Facebook, you know, we're, we're talking about it on these Instagram lives. Like this is something that people are starting to consciously think about. And I learned that like, no, that isn't necessarily the case because these things are ingrained. They're like little tiny little microchips that are in the brain that you can't weed out unless you intentionally and purposely do it. And I think post-pandemic life is making that more apparent to people, right? Because more people are speaking up about it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting point, the intentionality of it, because literally before you got 
on the call, Jeanette and I, we were talking to something very, about something very similar that has to do with the organization that we run here at Second Line Arts Collective, which, which is a small nonprofit. And as we, we noticed that as we wanted to hire uh, more equitably, that we had to like really be like, oh, we are going to hire women and we're going to hire this many women who are qualified to do these jobs. Um, when it comes to teaching students and things like that, because we before we subconsciously just hired all dudes, and we were like, "Damn, what, wait, what's happening?" We, you know what I mean. Absolutely. So it's something that you have to you have to think about it from an or, in, in an organization. You have to think about it in your daily life. You know, you can't. It's just not going to happen because you typed it online. Like, oh, I believe in you know e- equality. Everybody's cool. No, you got to like practice, practice, practice. And, and so, like, what, what are some things you think needs to change to help people, like, actually act on their keyboard warrior statuses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you make such a great point. I love that you say practice, 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 because that's really that's really what it is. You know, I think, you know, the first thing and I, I used this example the last time Jeanette and I were talking about this together. But I think the first thing people have to do is build a level of awareness that they don't even realize they don't have, right? Everybody says this, right? The first, the first step to you know, solving a problem is admitting that you have a problem. And it's more than saying I'm sexist. Like, I don't care about that word. I don't, I think it, whatever, like, what is that word? I care about how we're acting on the word. So one of the things that I'm going to ask, you know, all of your listeners to do this, you know, do it right now, pause where you are, which is go look at a music festival that's running right now. There are a ton happening all over the country and all over the world, right? Check out one and go see how many acts of women are on those festivals or go look at your local jazz club and see how many women are booked for the month of August, right? And I think people will see like, oh, wow, there are only one or two acts that are women or there are no acts, you know, that are women. Like that's something that's interesting, right? So it's self-starting. I would say the first thing is self-starting and making yourself aware that there is an issue. The second thing, which is not necessarily related, but I think it's just as important is if you consider yourself a Facebook warrior, like if you're posting that status and you're talking about equitability and equality, I am going to double dog dare you to go pick up the phone and call someone who you may be a little bit afraid of to talk about this with. Go call them. Call me. You can call me. I'll give you my number. Hit me up on Facebook Messenger. Call me and have you, that you conversation. You seem pretty nice. You, you seem pretty nice. Some people, they, uh, they, might, they might not need to call them. <laughs> they might need to just call you. They might not make it out. Uh, you know? <laughs> that's true, but that's good for you. It's good to get your butt burned every now and then, right? Because I think, you know, the point that I'm really trying to make, Darian and Jeanette, is that I don't think people become aware of their own, like, lack of thought about certain issues until they're faced with it in real time. And it's Absolutely. better to do it in a safe space with somebody who's welcoming the conversation than stumbling upon it. And then you get defensive and you get mad and you shut down and you can't have the conversation anymore, right? So do it with somebody that you know or who's offering to start practicing having your ideas challenged in real time. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I I would love people to understand that it's not necessarily, it's not for me, at least in observing, it's not necessarily personal. Like I know, like deep down, maybe your intentions are good, right? Like you just need some help. Like take your, like I tell my students, take your ego out of this, like stop getting in your feelings about it because somebody called you on the fact that you said something that was demeaning, insensitive, racist. Like it's not about your feelings. Like just think about the words that you're saying and in the intentions in which you're saying them with. And if that has to like, yes, that has to do with a little bit of feeling, but I'm not talking about you, the person in the soul, like I want you to act better. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily simply just about your feelings and how you feel about the situation. It's really, like you said, putting it into practice. And now the world is opening up and we get to see that practice. It's like for the whole year, everybody's been in the practice room, right? Of this kind of social justice stuff. Well, not everybody. As we can see, a lot of times the the same people have been watching the conversations and have been, you know, doing the work. But there are some new people that are that are in it. And now it's like, all right, get out on stage. You're going to mess up like it's Mm -hmm. just going to happen. Like you're going to fumble. But like you said, fumble in the safe spaces first. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that, what would you. Not just not just those calls of action that you just posed, but like what would you say to women to help support this? Um, Because we're coming out of this and, you know, it's not easy. Uh, what would you say specifically to women in music? Yeah, I think the first thing that I'm inclined to say as a woman myself is safety first in, in your mind and your heart and your, your physical space, obviously. Um, I think women who have always been strong, we have always been strong and we have always been powerful. I think though, we are living in a moment where it's socially acceptable to be that way. You know, like once upon a time, Jeanette and I would be considered like renegade women because the way we run our mouths and it wouldn't be called having opinions. It would be called running our mouths. Right. So I think we're living in a a moment right now where it's finally not only accepted, but supported for women to have voices and to use them very loudly. And I guess the thing that I would say to women is like practice doing that like practice using your voice because as many strong women, as I know, I know strong women who are like a little more quiet about their strength and that's okay. But I think, you know, what is going to continue to change and turn the tide is as more women become aware of our condition and feel the need to talk about it in a way that's fierce and you need to fight for it because you know that it's affecting you and you don't have the wool pulled over your eyes. You know, I liken it to, to my journey with racism in a lot of ways, you know, like I always knew about racism and I always knew that it was something that I was dealing with, but it wasn't until I really knew that it lit a fire in me. And now I can't stop. I won't stop because I know too much. So for women, like safety first, obviously, and to dig into the power of what this moment is in that it's not so scary anymore to step out because there are so many women who are ready to cover you and who are ready to support you in that. Um, Yeah, I think, I know that's like a really big and sort of vague idea, but I think 
you know, believing in your own voice, specifically as a woman, like believing in it and knowing that what you have to say is true and real and that it's valid is something that many women don't know. And I see that running an organization for women, you know, Mm. that there really is like a lack of confidence sometimes in what you have to say because, oh no, I shouldn't, like, I shouldn't, I don't need to. Yes, you do. You do. And it's okay. Yeah. You've got help, you know? That's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, like, what do you think the most, specifically in our field, we're, we're all uh, jazz musicians to, to some degree here, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever, wherever that we are fit in that umbrella, but what are the most pressing issues um, that you see in, in our field and and then also after we get there, like, what do you think we can do to solve them mm. for women specifically? Yes. Um, <clears throat> there are two things that are fighting with each other that I think of as like the most, the biggest issue. I think speaking specifically about the jazz genre, I think the biggest issue is that women are not given the same opportunities as men when it comes to opportunities to play, opportunities to lead gigs, um, to play festivals, to play anywhere. I think women, when they get those opportunities, it's because they have to fight and scrape for them. And I'm not saying men don't have to do the same thing. I'm just saying it's harder for women. So I would say specifically right now, it's like women are not playing at as great of a rate as women are. And I think that's a huge issue because if we don't intentionally and consciously decide to make that shift and to start intentionally booking more women as you are doing with Jeanette, if clubs aren't doing that, we will be in the same place that we were a year ago, three years ago with the Me Too movement. And which in all of of what that spurred, it wasn't just about sexual assault and harassment. It was bringing up the ideas of women not being offered the same opportunities as men. If we don't really start addressing that in a real way, and that doesn't mean booking like one band that is woman led a week and like saying that you did it, like you did not do it. Right. Or having women as sidemen and being like, oh, but women are playing my club. Like that's not the same. It's not the same. I think we have to intentionally be pressing on these rooms and really demand that they book more women because there are hella women out here who play their asses off, like period. Why aren't they playing in as much frequency as men, you know? And it shouldn't just be a few women either. And I count myself among that. Right. It shouldn't just be me and a couple of my buddies or whoever else playing gigs. Like if we're talking about equability, we've got to spread it all, all the way around, you know, you had another part to your question and I've already forgotten. I talk a lot. Y'all probably noticed this. The second part I was just saying, what can we do to fix that, to fix that problem? But you kind of already answered that in just making sure that we book more we, you know, we, we're very intentional about booking more women mm-hmm. um, in these venues and, and festivals and things. Mm-hmm. And I have to do it too, y'all. Like I, I'm really bad about it too, because the people that I have been playing with for years and years and years are some of my great homies and they're all dudes and yeah. they're great players. And it's like, man, I love the way that you play my music. So it, it, it applies to me as well. Like it's just being so intentional about it. Absolutely. I was looking 
for pictures at some point of uh, women instrumentalists. And I had to check my own bias because I was looking at my dad's a saxophone player and I had to. So I'm used to looking at people play saxophone. I'm not used to looking at women play saxophone. So I'll look at pictures of all these women playing sax. There are so many. Lauren, uh, Camille, Roxy, uh, like all of these women that play saxophone and still it feels strange to see a woman with breasts holding a saxophone. Like, and that's wild to me. And I had to check myself and be like, wow, I, we really also need to like put those images out there. Like, Hey, women play these instruments, you know, take more pictures of women playing these instruments on the bandstand, make it something super intentional that we're not just necessarily booking them, but you're also using them if with permission for their likeness for things so that people get to see, Oh yeah. Women play drums. Women are percussionists. Women play saxophone. Women play all of these instruments. Like it's not just about certain instruments. It's not just about certain women, but it's the intentionality of actually putting it out there as well. Like if you've got an ad for something and there are no women on that ad, but there are women on your lineup, you're also doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just had to share that to share my bias too. Like it's all things that we're working on, but once we take our ego out of that, it's going to be a lot easier. Have you been, have you been writing music and has any of this seeped itself into that? I have been writing music and some of it has, some of it has, I will say, um, What has been inspiring my music a lot recently has been younger women. Um, And that's sort of where, you know, my focus, if I had like a goal for 2021 going into 2022 or what I'm actively working on right now is the idea of representation that you just brought up. I think everything you said is 1000%. And I'm also going to add that we have to start doing it for the younger generation. Like kindergarten girls need to see women holding saxophones, right? Yep. Girls in middle school, when they get into their music programs for the first time, need to see women, you know, playing the drums. They need to see women playing an upright bass. You know, we have yep. to start really, really young. And I've been working a lot with younger women, especially as I'm, you know, working on the Sweet Joe Mentors program. And like, just young women are so dope. They're just so dope. You know what I mean? Like, they're just, they're coming up, uh, like so in themselves, like so much sooner than I remember being for my own self. It's so beautiful and it's so fearless and it's fierce and it's stylish and it's hip and, you know, they're playing changes and it's just, it's killing. So I've been very, very inspired by the young women that I have been mentoring and been talking to um, and hearing about their experiences and listening to their music. Like it's been very, very inspiring. Yeah. So, yes, I have That's been writing. I, I have a question. This question is kind of for both of you guys. And, and you know, some, something I do here in the masculine, the male identifying community. And it's, it's kind of like going back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, okay, if you want me to come out and say, hey, I made a mistake. That was sexist. How do I know? And I'm not me personally, but I'm speaking for the dudes. How do I know that I'm not going to get canceled? How do I know I'm not going to be persecuted on Facebook or Instagram and blah, 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 X, Y, Z? I think with the cancel culture now, sometimes people are afraid to make mistakes. 
you know, afraid to be human sometimes. And I'm, I'm not making excuses for dudes who are fucked up human beings by any means. But some people, everybody can't be level 10 messed right. up, you know? So I'm curious to have both your perspectives on that situation. Yeah, yeah. I think you bring up a really great point. Um, I am not a fan of cancel culture um, because I think uh, what happens is that we stop giving people opportunities to learn. Like it, it makes this, this sort of specification that you can grow, but not where I can see you. And I think that's yep. really ugly. It's really ugly. And to answer your question, you don't know. You don't know that, you know, speaking up and trying to, you know, own up and take responsibility for what it is that you feel like you've done or that you know you've done. You know, there are no guarantees, but I will say the people who really care about enacting change see that in you, right? Like a non-musical example that I love to give is Kobe Bryant. Like, you know, we, that's a whole conversation, but I will say like, he was the example of what you do when you really mess up. He is the example. He fought it for a little while. Then, you know, he came back and he, he laid it bare and you can't take that away from someone. You know, you can't take that away from someone who is so vulnerable and so open about where they were wrong. And if people still want to cancel you after that, you'll need to be around them. No way. That's how I feel. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that your community will lift you up out of that anyway. Cause right. The community is a big part of this too. The community holds you accountable, holds you responsible. Like I think there is protection and I hear what you're saying. And I know I can imagine that it's difficult to be on that side of it. But I think, you know, if you're really being genuine and you're really laying it bare and clear and like taking responsibility in a genuine way, like what is cancel culture? Like, what does that even mean in that situation? You know? I agree 100%. Um, And I think it's about listening to the women and the other even male identifying people that are doing the work. Um, But listen to women first. And like we said, try to fall in those safe spaces. And if you're really being honest and vulnerable about it and you're doing it with your community, there's a moment there where you can feel some sort of safety, even if you do get, you know, knocked upside the head with some words, not physically, but with some words. Um, If you're doing it with the right people, it's out of love. Mm -hmm. And it's important to remember that because the, the women that are standing next to you want to see you succeed. We don't want to persecute you if we're standing here with you. If we have the space to have these conversations, we don't want to see you persecuted unless you continually put your ass out there and not do the work and just say, well, it doesn't really matter. I've had conversations with folks that flick it off like and make it condescending. Like, well, somebody's mm-hmm. going to cancel me and I don't care and da 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 because this is just the way it is and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, well, you're not actually here for me for the community, for the culture, for the music, for the scene. And that's something that we have to also do is 
not be afraid to hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, we can have these conversations all we want, but like from the beginning of our conversation, if we're not saying to somebody like, you know, just n- tapping them on the shoulder, yo, we need to go talk about that. Right. Like, and we don't have to do it in front of people. Lots. I say this all the time and black people will understand this. Like sometimes that's family business and nobody else needs to know. And I think if you're in the right community, you can you can be hurt by something that somebody says. But if you're willing to work and the people that are next to you are willing to work, too, it can get there can be change and there can be growth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with that. All right, that's dope. So y'all, it's, look, if you out here listening to this, uh, it's a chance, bro. Just let, <laughs> it's a chance for redemption, baby. You do it. It's never I too mean, late. It's never it's too never late. It's never too late. I mean, I mean, okay, wait, I'm going to qualify that statement. I think it is too late if you've been like out in these streets being horrible, unapologetically for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And then the only reason why you want to get it right is because you're about to get canceled. Like, I think it's too late then, but I don't think anybody it's never too late to start trying to rectify. Like if you know where you've gone wrong, it's never too late to try to rectify that. Yeah, man, this, this whole subject is, is, is rough, man. It's rough because you know, it's, it's just so much, you got so much life to live as a dude, you know? And it's just like, yeah, when you were 16 to 25, you're probably a terrible person. I'm just going to go ahead and say, at least I was. So (laughs) like, not that you were, you know, but you probably said one or two things that was out of the way. And, and I think in the era that I'm 36. So like there was no Facebook, nobody put me out. I just said it. Somebody was like, nah, he was like, okay. But like now you're on Facebook, you got, it's a video of it. You know, it could really affect your whole life. So it, it, that's why I think sometimes people are afraid to come you out. You know what, though? And, and like, say, my mother told me from a young, from young, don't talk out your neck. Like, yeah, that's true. It's like the Whatever. idea that asking for civility is, you know, who knew? Who knew <laughs> that right. you just have to, like, talk like you have sense most of the time? Right. Yeah. Some some of it I don't get, and I've never understood, like catcalling. I never really. I'm like that. It doesn't work. Like if you, I don't get. I don't. It really doesn't. Yeah, I just like to do things that work. Like, hello, my name is. That works. (laughs) (laughs) But the the issue with catcalling is it's not about the the getting. It's about the power play. Yep. It's never about the getting because catcalling, that's not what catcalling is about. Listen, I had this one dude. I will never forget this. I was walking down by um, Rockwood and this dude passed me by and he was like, hey, do I know you? I was like, I don't know. And he's like, actually, I don't. But did it and like gave like asked for my number. I was like, OK, that's nice. Like, don't say, hey, yo, shorty. Like, I don't you know, that's not it. That is about catcalling is about power. It's about showing off with your boys to sometimes embarrass somebody, sometimes to make them clam up to feel inferior. That's power. That's not necessarily desire to want to be with somebody. Yes. You know what? It's so funny that you bring up catcalling, Darian, because I was just in France and, um, People are very different there. Like everybody is very different there. It's a very different culture. And Jeanette, you hit it on the nail. Like for me, this this past week was when I 
realized like, oh yes, it has always been about power because, you know, in France, there were plenty of men and women who were like, wow, like you are so hello, have a nice day, have a great, I just wanted you to know. It's like, oh, wow, that just made my day. Like, thank you so much. It just feels so much better when it's coming from, I want you to know that you are a beautiful person and that's it. Versus what everything that Jeanette just said, like it's about, I know that I can get you upset or I know that I can ruin your day or I know I can make myself feel big and bad by degrading you in this moment. You know what I mean? So yeah, control. I I'm just sort of reflecting on what you're saying, Jeanette, because I think for me, that idea was like really solidified by going to another place where men are very vocal, but it doesn't feel the same way as it does, you know, on 14th street or whatever. Right. Right. I'm I'm curious just with this whole idea of power, the power of it, mm-hmm. and, and is it common in your life as 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 a as a woman to be put in situations where you feel powerless or you feel like someone is trying to, you know, uh, dominate you, so to speak, at work or I, I don't know, is this like a normal thing in occurrence? I would say now, no. Like I know too much of my own power to be dominated, but once upon a time, absolutely yes. And I think that there are plenty of women who never get to know their own power and they, and they feel dominated. And it's not that they're making it up. It is that they actually are attempting to be dominated. This man is attempting to dominate them. Um, and that feeling was a really real And frustrating isn't even a strong enough word. Angry isn't even a strong enough word. Desperate is not a strong enough word. Like it there, I don't know that there is vocabulary yet to explain what that feels like to have your power extinguished and to know that somebody is using their stature to dominate you. Um, But not anymore. That's not a feeling that I, that I have. I, I know too much of my own wills now, you know? How about you, Jeanette? I'm curious. Uh, so, so yes and no. Um, I am currently in a situation where I didn't realize it was happening until I paid attention because I generally don't pay attention um, because I'm just like, y'all think you're better than me. And that's me. Right. Like, that's hilarious. Just because you're a man, you think you're better than me. That's funny. But it didn't. But since I feel that way, I always feel like I'm equal at least right now. But when I realized that's what they were doing, I was like, I was literally shocked. Like somebody, the people that I knew well had the audacity to think that simply because they were a man, they could try to dominate me. But I do also think there's um, aesthetic politics that also come into this that are very interesting that I don't think women talk about enough. Um, the idea of conventionally beautiful and not conventionally beautiful. Mm. Um, but to, to briefly answer your question, uh, yes, I felt there's been like this kind of aura, like she, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about or she needs help or da, 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 da. But now I'm getting in my life that I'm too 
masculine. Mm. And I know and it's just like, what are we talking about here? I'm so like y'all are funny. So very interesting. So you think this idea of masculinity makes the men feel insecure? Is that is is that what happens? Yes. That has been my experience. It's so funny that you use that word. That word has been applied to me much, very much recently. Masculine. Yeah. Like an insult yeah. almost. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Correct. See, as a as a father, you know, like I have a young daughter. And so like all of these things I, I have been recently thinking about more because I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to, I don't want her to live in a world like this where she can't just be. Mm-hmm. And I think as black people, we all know what that is. And so like, we don't need another layer of that. Like you, you guys don't need another layer where you just can't be. That's not, it's just not fair, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I hear you. Intersectionalism is a really tough, it's a tough thing. Those, those different intersections. And I'm sure your daughter will have plenty. It's not just that she's a black woman, but, you know, a black intelligent woman, you know, a black intelligent, strong woman. Like these are all really beautiful adjectives, black, intelligent, strong, and a woman like that's great. And they're all, they all carry their own set of negative connotations that make it really hard to exist joyfully as all of those things. But I'm working on it for her specifically and right. for, for all of, you know, our little black girls, especially, and I'm working for our little black boys too, to make sure that they don't make our little black girls feel the way that we have felt in our lifetime, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I love that. That's beautiful. man. Keep, keep the work going. Have Why to. don't we take a minute? Why don't we take a pause? Let's cause you do got some music and we getting real close to the end. Yeah. Okay. Let's play. I just saw the time. Yeah. Let's play some yeah. music. This this one is called Wait Till Now. Check yeah. this out, y'all. Wait till, wait till now. August shadows still warm with heat. Sunday came with a new dish to clean. me with the sound she said wait till
y'all waited all that time just to hear that. And it was amazing. Tone! Tone! <laughs> Tone! You know what you remind me of? I hate Thanks, to say this, but you know what you remind me of to hear? You remind me of myself huh. in the shower. When, when I, I get it, I get in there, I turn the, oh! I turn the shower away. <laughs> I'm mad. <laughs> no, you sound beautiful, real quick. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Really, it's... what I was think, thinking about was Michael Jackson and just something about the energy of that song made me feel like Quincy produced that track. I don't know who did, but that shit was, that was hot. I did, though. but thank you. Oh, wow. You got a young Quincy out here. That's right. <laughs> That's high compliments. Thank you so much. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, y'all. So, so what what were we waiting on? Wait till now for what? Ooh, okay. So this song, it's the name of, of my first album. Uh, it, it seems like such a long time ago. It, it was not a long time ago. But um, Wait Till Now is a song about my grandmother, actually, um, who isn't with us anymore, but she is with me every, every day. Um, I would go spend summers in Louisiana. I was born in Louisiana with her. And uh, I was the, the dish girl, you know, it's a, I, I had chores as you, as you must and as you do. And Sundays, you know, I don't know about y'all, but Sundays were like the day in our house. You know, we got up, had breakfast, went to morning service, came back, had lunch, went to afternoon service, came back, had dinner, went to night service, went to Sunday school. You know what I mean? Like the whole day. Yep. And my grandmother, she would have these elaborate meals for every single meal. And I would have to clean the dishes. And one week, I like finally, I was like, Grandma, like, wouldn't it make more sense, like logic, if I waited until the end of the day to wash all of these dishes? Like, <laughs> you're not using the same dishes. Like, let me just, at the end of the day, you know? And she like, I can't even, I won't even try to do the look, but she looked at me pointed to the kitchen and said, you are going to wait until right now to go do those dishes. And <laughs> I was like, yes, ma'am, I will. But I say it in the song, it's a lyric. Like at the time, I didn't know, like I knew not then what her words meant. I didn't know what she mm. meant then. It wasn't until much later in my life when I realized like she was giving me something to live by. Like, don't wait to do the things you know you have to do or even want to do. Like, wait till now to do it. Meaning, do it now. Like, what are you waiting for, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I was, you know, sort of dealing with her death, like, that came to me very strongly. And that song was born in a night. And then I had an album not too long after that. Wow. I love I love that whole story. And, and I'm yeah. going to tell you something. I don't know about y'all, but you was only in church on Sunday back back home in Mississippi. We was in church every day. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's today? Monday? We going to church, baby. Sunday school. <laughs> Tuesday was Youth the deacon group. meeting. Wednesday was choir right. rehearsal. Study. Thursday yep, was yep. second Bible study. Yep. yep. <laughs> That's right. It's always something at church, right? Always. Yeah. Listen, Tahira, um, so we, we coming up close to the end here. Before we go, I definitely want to give you an opportunity to tell everybody um, where to buy your merchandise, where to buy your signature Bibles, and uh, <laughs> whatever else you got on, on your sites and, and where they can link with you on all the socials. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Um, my website is the, the place for everything that's... T- 
tahiraclayton.com, T-A-H-I-R-A, Clayton, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N.com. Um, it's got my albums on there. It's got some of my writings. I write a lot of poetry. I write some thought pieces as well, sort of talking about the state of the world uh, with regards to sexism and racism specifically. Um, I have a community newsletter that you can join as well. That is more thought pieces on on those things and uh, forums to talk uh, and exchange ideas. And I guess you can find me on Instagram. I'm not really on there like that, but that's at tee.clay on, on Instagram. Yeah, you're right, man. So y'all go to all those places, check, check to hear out. Go to her website. You got a band camp? I do have a band camp. It's set up. Hit me up. All right, so <laughs> find her on band camp. Buy the record on band camp because when you buy it on band camp, the artist gets all the money. And buy it on, especially if you want to wait for a payday, the first Friday in August is the next Bandcamp Friday. So go on and get you all of her music, all of anybody's. If you love somebody on Bandcamp, Bandcamp Friday, August, I think it's 6th. Absolutely. All, most of the more money goes to the artist. Just give it all to us. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We got student loans, kids, dogs. You know, we got <laughs> we got to all record that. more projects. We are right. <laughs> <laughs> so we appreciate y'all support and to hear it, man. Thank you so much for coming on the working artist. So project. so much. Thanks for having me, y'all. I appreciate the the warmth and the love and the listening ears and the ideas. It's much appreciated. More of this all all the time. It's great. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, y'all. My name is Darian Douglas. And I'm Jeanette Berry. This is the Working Artist Project. We'll catch y'all next time. See you later. later.